Hello, my name is Emily Jennings and welcome to the She's Heard podcast, where we'll be hearing from extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life about how they found their voice and are using it to speak up and create a meaningful life. You'll be hearing stories that inspire us to be courageous, keep it real, be compassionate, and trust ourselves through the process of living bolder, more authentic lives. Today, I am thrilled to be speaking with Jolynn Gardner-Campbell. Jolynn is a modern and contemporary portrait artist from Seattle. She is the creator of Afro Jazz Fine Art and serves as a Washington State Arts Commissioner. Jolynn is influenced by her formal training as a lawyer for over 10 years. She has developed an arts and social justice program for teens called Teenergy. Teenergy teaches young leaders how to use their creative voice for social change. Jolynn is also creating an online platform that showcases art of the African diaspora. Jolynn is a holder of unlimited permission slips to create as she sees fit. You can learn more and follow her at jolynngc.com. Without further ado, let's jump right into the conversation. Jolynn, are you there, dear? I am. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me. You are welcome. So this podcast is about speaking up. It's about owning your voice. It's about creating our lives in a meaningful way. I've known you for many years now. We met in college, and I have always been impressed with your boldness and authenticity and the way that you just say what's there and you go for what you want, and you do it in a way that serves other people. We've talked about different experiences you've had that helped you own your voice and live in a bold way, though you've done it most of your life. What I think is remarkable and worthy of mentioning is that the process of living deeply in alignment with integrity and authenticity of who you really are and who you really want to be is very unique. It's unique as every single individual. You started that so young, and it's so remarkable. I want to ask you about one of the first key experiences that you had as a young girl that helped you find your voice. Can you share that? Yes, thank you for asking. So when I was in elementary school, I believe I was in the fifth grade, there was this Dr. Martin Luther King essay contest, and I was planning on entering it And I didn't have any second thoughts about it until uh, a classmate of mine, we'll just call him Adam, (laughs) Adam told me that black people can't write. He says, why are are you entering the contest? Black people can't write. And he said it as if it was fact, as if it was written in stone somewhere. And you're 10 years old. I'm 10. I'm in the fifth grade. I don't recall if anyone else heard it. I don't even think my fifth grade teacher was aware that that's the level of interaction that was going on in her classroom. But I decided to enter that competition. I almost felt like it was my duty now to enter that competition. And so I entered it. um, Needless to say, I won. Out of the classroom, my essay was chosen to advance to represent the entire fifth grade, and then it was chosen to represent the entire school, and then it was selected as the winner for our school district, and it was published in the paper. And when I came back to school the next day, or the next day after all of the announcements had been made, I wore my green ribbon, and I went up to Adam 
And I told him, I was like, you know, don't judge me by the color of my skin, but instead you can judge me by this green ribbon. You know, Adam didn't say anything else after that. His presence is completely irrelevant for the rest of the entire school year. I don't even remember any other interactions with Adam. And it would be interesting to know if he remembered that that moment as well, as vividly as I remember it. Yeah, I guess that was a moment where I had to stand up for myself and not really needing to use too many words because the you know, the proof was in the pudding, so to speak. Yeah. And or the proof was in the green ribbon. It's like, yes, I'm black and I can write. Thank goodness I didn't let that deter me from, you know, law school and you know, other endeavors that involve writing, a, a heavy amount of writing. I mean, otherwise, who knows? Who knows what would have happened if my voice had been shut down at age mm-hmm. 10. So, Did you have support through that process? Or was it just like a visceral, I will show you? And then you went, you went with your little hands and wrote your essay. You know, I don't think it was... I don't think it was so like, oh, I'm going to show you. It was more like, I'm not going to let you tell me what I can and cannot do, you know. So it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to show you, but it was more like, "Uh, I'm going to write anyway because, you know, what if I didn't win? Like, then Mm -hmm. would that have proved Adam right? No, it wouldn't have, no. So, but definitely having the green ribbon, like, put a big fat exclamation point on the matter and nothing else could be said nothing I mean what can you say after that like nothing because whatever he wrote didn't even make it to represent it wasn't even in the running so whatever he wrote wasn't even in the running so well that was a huge impressionable experience as a oh yeah was definitely great that's and that has carried you forward in applying for scholarships you went on a law school which was a community effort you got support from your family and from your community to go and do that? Oh, yes, definitely. Uh, as far as the support really came in with, you know how expensive law school applications are? Like, they're a minimum, I believe, of like $50, and that was back in 2000, uh, 2003. So in 2003, $50 is a lot. You're in college yeah. and you have to apply for you know, you need to apply for at least, I would say, at least 10 schools, like your top, your safe schools, and then your middle schools or what have you. And I just happened to get into one of my top choices. So that was a blessing. I love your perseverance. Okay, can you tell us about a more recent experience you had that was seen on the bus? Um, What I love about this more recent experience is that it's like an everyday, seemingly insignificant circumstance. Learning and speaking up doesn't have to be this big, like, social justice rally or a, a big presentation. It can be something as insignificant as, like, at the grocery store or, you know, at a bus stop, like your example. So that's what I really love about this. Please carry on. Yes. The ordinary moments are all opportunities to do something extraordinary, even mm-hmm. and especially when it's using your voice to um, to advocate for someone. So, you know, living in Seattle, um, especially with this traffic, sometimes you just have to take public transportation just for peace of mind. Um, but sometimes that peace of mind is interrupted 
at people who feel a sense of entitlement to your um, personal space or your personal bubble. Um, but I was on the bus, and the bus was semi-packed. There was definitely seats available if you wanted to sit by yourself. There was this really petite woman sitting up front, and I was sitting, like, right behind her. This man gets on the bus, and he's much bigger than she is. With all the available seats that you can have, I'm talking about, like, prime real estate on the bus. There are certain seats that are, like, the best seats on the bus. Mm -hmm. Even though seats were available, and yet and still, this large man (laughs) decided to sit right next to this woman and proceed to have a conversation. Now, keep in mind, this um, woman, she had headphones in. When you have headphones in, it means don't talk to me. He proceeded to have a conversation with her, and she appeased him by having this conversation, even though you can tell she, just by her body language, that she didn't want to be bothered. I mean, even her shoulders were kind of turned towards the window, as in don't talk to me. And still, he continued to talk to her and just be in her space. I could tell that she was uncomfortable. Even if she wanted to get up, she probably couldn't because a good portion of his thigh meat was over on her side. I mean, it was obvious. You can tell from how the seat is in the back. You can tell, like, what side is what. Oh, you know, if you were I've been divided there. in half. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So clearly the majority of his body was on part her seat. He really did need to sit in a seat by himself. He's like... But, literally invading her space. Yes, like all ah. in her space. Okay. And so I just remember thinking, that really sucks. But I wasn't moved to say anything at that point. But then later on, I'm thinking, I really should have said something because clearly she didn't want this guy sitting next to her, and I didn't say anything. And so I just told myself, you know, the next time that situation happens and on the bus I'm there, I'm going to say something. Fast forward, you know, another time I'm on the bus as a Seattleite, another time I'm on the bus. This time I am sitting directly across from someone. And, again, there are seats on the bus, okay? Like, this is not a situation where there's no seats whatsoever. This guy gets on the bus, and he sits next to this girl. This time he, the way he's sitting next to her, his hand is in front of him holding onto the bar. The seats have handles on the back of them. So at this point, this girl is trapped, and he's obviously asking her, oh, do you have a boyfriend? Where are you going? You know, all those questions mm-hmm. that she didn't want to be bothered with. She's answering him, but kind of like in a nervous kind of way, like, oh, you know, just get up. And all I did was lean over and said, hey, girl, are you okay? And she kind of, you know, shook her head, was like, yes, I'm, I'm okay. And at that point, I just said that so that the guy knew that I was watching and I was listening and that what he was doing was not okay. And if he continued, there would be a witness to his shenanigans. And so at that point, he took his hand off the bar. At that point, it was just one of those things through. where yeah. – the girl knew that she wasn't alone in the situation. And so he eventually got off the bus. And then when she was getting off the bus, she just kind of looked at me, you know, like that, you know, thank you so much. And that was it. It was simple. It didn't didn't feel weird. Oftentimes you feel like you just need to mind your own business. But in that situation, she looked trapped, like she couldn't get up. And I know that if someone sat like that next to me, and just kept going on and on and asking, like hitting on me 
and I felt trapped. I would want someone, if I felt like I couldn't say it myself, I would want someone to do something and say something on my behalf. So that's what I did. That's awesome. And we're, there's more and more conversation about this exact thing of not feeling alone in situations mm-hmm. that where there seems to be kind of unwanted attention or the person who's paying attention is not picking up on cues. So the more I think that we are alert and paying attention to what's happening around us, the more the better. The the less alone we feel and like trying to protect ourselves constantly. The other yes, this, as you I were think. talking, it reminded me of the wisdom of our bodies and how when something is off, we feel it. There's something in your body that says, mm, look a little, stare a little longer, look a little longer, pay attention to what's happening over there. It can be in your gut or I was talking to someone recently who feels it in her hands, like her hands start tingling. I was like, huh, mm. I don't, my, my hands don't tingle. I feel it in my throat, like I can feel my throat kind of restrict when something like there's a tense situation and also my gut kind of tightens. So like my throat and my gut tighten. I'm like, okay, I now have skills that help me breathe and pay it and be like, okay, what's really going on here? Do you, is this a situation I just need to be here and find a sense of centering, a sense of calmness in, or do I need to really say something or do I just need to stand next to this person who seems like they're alone in a potentially violent situation? So I'm curious, because it is different for different people, the tell of when something's off or when you need to pay more attention or when you need to speak up. What does that tell for you? It's the throat, same like you, the throat. Hmm. I remember you mentioning earlier, like when you walked off the bus, you're like, oh, good, my throat isn't as tight. So it's not like there's this proverbial cotton in there you know that like, oh, okay good all's good in the world I saw what I did and I said what I needed to and okay that part of me feels aligned and open <laughs> all right cool so in general you live pretty openly and you're a straight shooter so there's not a lot of extra drama or the drama is minimized because of just living with intention and and clarity and clear boundaries, you transitioned from being a lawyer to doing artwork with teens for social justice. Can you tell us about that? Because I know that was a process. Yes. So I retired from the practice of law in 2015. (laughs) Um, No, I, I legitimately retired. Like you have to retire with the bar and let them know, like, I'm no longer practicing. So I am retired. Sometimes I refer to myself as a recovering attorney because, you know, it was was a lot. It definitely was a lot. Passion and ability um, to paint. And so I started painting. But as I was making that transition, really the, the one person in my family anyway that was super supportive in my decision was my mom. My mom was the one who probably sacrificed the most for me to get to law school and go to law school and be in law school and graduate from law school. And so the fact that she was okay with me making this, you know, major decision meant meant the world to me. My mom is very, very supportive of everything that I do. I'm really blessed in that um, regard. It took a lot of uh, self-trust because 
one minute you're an attorney and then you're an artist. And everyone's like, wait, what What just happened? That's like the total opposite end of careers or whatever. Really, it was a matter of me deciding, okay, what is it going to look like? What is What vision do I have for how I want to have a livelihood, use my gifts and talents and skills to their fullest ability, and operate in my highest passion? What does that look like? And I didn't just shun law. I used my law degree every every day from negotiations to public speaking to just that credibility or intimidation factor. You tend to find out when when you have that background, people don't mess with you as much. They're like, oh, you know, let me be on my P's and Q's or whatever. So mm-hmm. um, I was able to use my law background to and as well as my art background to create this program for teens called Teenergy, which is a social justice arts program for teens of color that helps them to use their creative voice for social change. And right now we're actually in a Teenergy session and we're creating a digital zine. A zine in the the art world, a zine is a DIY magazine and it's like a small, small publication, small run, print run. And so it has like a real kind of crafty quality to it. And a digital zine is that, but it's online and there's other com- components that can be implemented like uh, different forms of media like music or other forms of creativity that you can't find in a, in a traditional like paper hard copy zine. So this zine is definitely short for magazine. But it's not all about, like, the glossy look. It's more of that hardcore, gritty, almost like a pamphlet. But um, it has, you know, art and poetry and all kinds of stuff. The zine that um, our teams are working on is a digital zine. It's a peer-to-peer zine that is um, consists of teens telling other teens about the school-to-prison pipeline and their experience and things of that nature. Because right now, um, the school-to-prison pipeline essentially is this system that disproportionately affects black and brown youth when it comes to suspensions and expulsions. And as we know, when you are out of school, the chances of you getting into trouble or having contact with the criminal justice system increases dramatically, and especially for black and brown youth. And so a part of that has to do with education push-out and teachers not disciplining students in fair ways. I just want to insert and elaborate a little bit more about what JoLynn was just referencing. The school-to-prison pipeline is the disturbing national trend within the United States where children are funneled out of public schools and into juvenile and criminal justice systems. These children are disproportionately children of color. Many of these children have learning disabilities or histories of poverty, abuse, or neglect, and would benefit from additional educational, rehabilitative, and counseling services. Instead, they are isolated, punished, and pushed out. They are then fed into the prison industrial complex, which is a for-profit private prison system that hugely benefits and makes a lot of money off of what is essentially modern-day slavery. States are required to keep prisons filled even when crime rates are going down. All of this is rooted in the insidiousness of systemic institutional racism. This insidious racism impacts every industry, every element of our media in subtle and not so subtle ways. 
To dive deeper and further explore these issues, I highly recommend starting with the documentary 13th by Ava DuVernay. Okay, back to Jolyn and Teenergy. So that's what the teens are working on right now, and that is definitely something that combines my art, my love for art, and my love for law and justice together, and it's been a very happy medium. It's something that I would have never thought I would be doing, you know, if someone had sent a survey to me back when I was in law school and said, hey, do you see yourself being an artist and doing X, Y, and Z with the law? Winning a trial, which is my former life. I was, you know, in trial a lot. And, I, you know, I still love trial, but working with teens, something that just, it gets me out of the bed in the morning because they're just, I work with a lot of geniuses, like these brilliant young geniuses who are just so creative and have so much potential, but the traditional school system doesn't always honor or celebrate that um, or those aspects of their genius. So seeing them blossom in this program has just been a really humbling experience, and I cannot wait until this zine is published so that, uh, you know, other teens know about the school to prison pipeline and know that there are other ways to express yourself creatively. And it's just been, it's like I'm going through a journey, but then so are my teens and we're all going through this journey of finding ourselves more and more each and every day. And it's not, it's not easy to just leave something as big as a law background behind. But like I said, I use it every day from negotiating contracts to negotiating agreements and then I also get to paint and do what I love. And so I've really have taken my mantra of, you know, I have unlimited permission slips to create as I see fit. Like that is literal real life for me. Every day I get to design what my day looks like. I'm not done sleeping until, I mean, there's not an alarm clock that's like, okay, Julian, you have to get up. It's like, no, I get up when I'm done sleeping. And that might be at 6 a.m., that might be at 4 a.m., or that might be at 10 a.m., whenever that is, that's when I get up and I honor my body in that way. Unless there's some appointment that I set, then I will. It's something that I decided I wanted to do. So it's my life. I do what I want. (laughs) I know you do what you want, and it's so inspiring because it seems to me, from the outside looking in, it looks like you took a leap of faith or you were super – trusting of yourself in a way you hadn't been before that I could see to be like, I don't know exactly where I'm going to go, but this being in this law field doesn't quite feel right. And I need to explore this art field. And so like that transition of like, okay, I'm going to take a step up this staircase. Now I can't see the top of the staircase, but I'm going to take a step out on a leap of faith. And what you've created is so inspiring is also having such great impact of bridging the two worlds and art is so powerful it's such a powerful medium for raising awareness having avenue of self-expression and beauty and spreading the message it makes such a difference it really does i think that going to law school is also a leap of faith and trusting myself that I could first get accepted into law school. I mean, that's more than a notion. The competition is so fierce these days that 
if you get into law school, oh, my gosh, like you're winning already just by getting in. But then graduating, so many people don't even make it through the first year or the first semester or whatever. And it's definitely a white male dominant space. So that's a whole other other aspect that you get to navigate. And then... And practice using your voice and asserting your space and what you want and all of that, right? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, that is something that takes place. I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, the first day of law school, um, I was like, oh, I do not want to get called in. I do not want to get called in. And then I just happened to have a flower in my hair. I don't know what I was thinking. But I obviously, besides being black (laughs) in the classroom, I stood out. And my professor, it was a contracts professor, my very first day of law school, first class, and I get called in. I get called in, and (laughs) because of my rigorous undergraduate um, program, um, it was called Law and Diversity. It's now called Law and Justice, but back back when I was there, it was called the Law and Diversity Program at Western Washington University. I was prepared to answer the question, even though I didn't want to be called on, but I was prepared to answer the question, and my professor made an example of it. He's like, now, this is how you answer a question in this in this class. Thank you, Ms. Gardner. And then moved on to the next person. And I was just like, oh my gosh, thank goodness because it was so it was so so much pressure. Yeah, oh my gosh, day. I can only imagine. And how bold yeah, of you to but, wear a flower in your hair, especially being, you know, in a minority. <laughs> oh my god. I mean I definitely you. You so definitely much. Need to operate under the radar on the first day of law school. Don't be that. Don't be that person that is just standing out like a fourth thumb. You're saying you don't, don't be that. that person, but you did it no. so well, dude. Don't be that person. Just don't. <laughs> Not in law school. Okay, but wasn't there a time? Wasn't there a time period where you were kind of journaling regularly and exploring different parts of yourself? During that transition period from being leaving law oh, to, yes. Yes. can you talk talk about that period? Because I think I know there are people that are, you know, in, you know, a safer, consistent, you know, more structured career, but also wanting to explore other things that are maybe not so safe. And so, hearing other people's experiences is really helpful. So, can you kind of share about that time period? Yeah, so I think this was back in 2008 when I decided to leave my first law um, job. I mean, it was really stressful, and primarily the reason why I left was because my last rotation was in Juvie, and so there were too many youth from my neighborhood or from my school or families that I knew that were going through the criminal justice system, and I was a prosecutor at the time, and so they never tell you how difficult it is to be a prosecutor in your own community. And I was experiencing that. Um, I had to recuse myself, meaning I could not be on the case because of a conflict, meaning I knew the person or whatever. What do you mean you had so many of youth that you knew on your floor? Oh, I didn't say on the floor. Well, in the courtroom. Oh, okay. So the people they are called respondents or defendants. In juvenile justice system, they're called respondents um, because they're youth. So the respondents were 
youth that either I knew or had some other connection to, I knew their family or we come from the same community or something, there was some nexus that made it a challenge for me to prosecute them. So I recused myself, meaning, you know, alert the court that I have a conflict of interest. I cannot be the prosecutor on this case. And so they would always have to bring down another prosecutor. And I eventually uh, left. And when I left, you know, I didn't know what I was going to do. I hadn't discovered I could paint until four years later in 2012. Oh, my gosh. Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yes. So I would go, there's this beach in Seattle called Alki Beach, but there's this park on top of Alki Beach that kind of looks down on Alki or looks over Alki. And um, I would take my little sister's chihuahua with me. Her name is Twinkles. Twinkle. And um, I would take her with me every morning and journal just about my thoughts, um, what I was experiencing. And I did that for a month because I had took a month off to kind of get some clarity and clear my head and just take a break to figure out what my next move was going to be. So it's not like I just, I quit. It wasn't like that. There was this deep preparation. And even before before making the decision to ultimately leave that office, I had been praying for clues and, uh, or not really clues, but signs that it was time for me to go. And several things were showing up that were clear signs that it was time for me to leave. And it took me a minute to heed those signs. But then um, when, I, when I finally, you know, did, that prompted me to take the month off. So I took the month off. And during that time, I just journaled every day. Whatever it was that I was experiencing, I just, you know, wrote it down and really just spent, made that time, made it a priority to spend time with myself and get to know this Jolene that was no longer filled as a, um, as, a, as, a, as a lawyer or as a prosecutor. I mean, I still practice law from 2008 after I left that first office. I practiced law, but I worked for myself, and I primarily did entertainment law, so it was like contracts, you know, something like really – really transactional. I wasn't in the courtroom anymore. Mm-hmm. And But as I was doing that, I was also exploring things that I wanted to do. And I did several different empowerment conferences that I let facilitated with another friend. And we were making brands, and we were just doing all, everything that I could think of that was creative. I did it. And even while I was on this hiatus, I traveled to Jamaica where I actually met my now husband. But if I hadn't taken those breaks, there's no way that I would have been in Jamaica. So I would have still been on the grind, like in trial and all that stuff. So I just, having that time to journal really made the difference. And it almost created this like fertile ground to explore new seeds to plant, so to speak. And some of those seeds were, the majority of those seeds were all art-related. And so now, like my whole life, everything has to do with art. I mean, in fact, I'm getting ready to go to the Governor's Arts and Heritage Awards tonight because I'm a Washington State Arts Commissioner. And the reason why or how I even landed that position um, on the board was because the Executive Director of the um, Washington State Arts Commission attended the Cultural Congress, where I was giving a talk about the art of critical thinking, or yeah, the art of critical thinking, I believe it was. And so 
while I was giving this talk, I combine art and law, and I use examples from my own life, and we led everyone through this um, exercise on how to use art to think criti critically. And then that executive director was in the audience, and she came up to me afterwards and said, you should be on our board. Um, we could use someone with your background. And that was the first time that I publicly combined um, my love for art and law. And then after that, I took that talk that I gave and adapted it for teens and then developed this program called Tangy. And that was back in, oh, goodness, when was that? That was several, several years ago. Several years ago, I can't even. Because you've been doing Teenergy for a while. Oh yeah, the first mm -hmm. the first iteration of Teenergy, I believe, was in twenty. I believe it was in twenty ten. It was the very first iteration of Teenergy, and it was um, an empowerment camp for girls. So it was an away camp. We were out in the woods and in cabins and on the ocean, you know. And then it wasn't until uh, I believe twenty fourteen when I changed it to become a uh, more focused on social justice art. Believe it or not, that first, that first iteration of, of Teenergy as a social justice arts program was the Monday after Michael Brown had been gunned down by Officer Darren Wilson. So it was really thick. It was heavy. I had some teens that were angry, and we used art to work through all of that. And... At that point, I was like, okay, this is definitely something that is useful and something that I want to develop further. And so I, you know, wrote grants and, you know, just continued to have it funded. And so Teenergy has been funded through grants since 2014. There hasn't been a time when it wasn't funded through a grant. The very first, the first four years of Teenergy, I used my my savings to get Teenergy up and running, along with some private donations as well. But yeah, so the, for the first four years, Teenergy was funded by Jolyn's savings account, which was not even wow. that much, but um, it was enough to sustain me and test out this crazy idea I had, which is still going strong to this day. So And expanding. Yeah. And expanding into other things. Can you tell us about your next project? Yes. Yeah, so um, I think the expansion is not necessarily Teenergy, but just it goes back to giving myself unlimited permission slips to create as I see fit. So right now what I'm working on is creating a platform, a digital platform for artists of the African diaspora to showcase their artwork just, you know, all over the world. And we've received funding for that from the World Domination Summit Foundation, uh, shout out to Portland, and also from the city of Seattle, which is awesome. It, it feels really good to be supported by your city. It feels really, really good. So, you know, look out for that. That's something that, again, incorporates art, but it's something that serves other artists. I'm just taking the first initial amount of money, whatever I raise, to build this platform, and then it will serve other artists. It's not about me. And it's not the Jalen show, showcasing my own art, but it's showcasing the art of others who lack access to the traditional um, gallery world. Right. It's creating just a whole new model so that 
you have a greater reach of finding artists, and then you're also then able to, people are then able to access the art more easily, correct? Because it's going to be through like a 3D online virtual tour, right? Well, it's actually a full gallery. You can take a tour within the gallery, but it is a 3D virtual gallery, yes, correct. That's so brilliant. It's going to be awesome. In 2018, we're going to be showcasing 11 Seattle-based artists um, who are all contemporary black artists. These artists I have developed both personal and professional relationships just being in the art world. Um, Their work is amazing, and I cannot wait to showcase their work in the gallery. And so, yeah, every second Thursday in 2018, all the way through, so see, January through November, there will be art, various artists in the art gallery, and then we'll also have these monthly pop-ups, which are live art events that where the artists will actually be present at a location, and they will um, do an artist talk, and so you can meet the artists, and then you can see some of the artwork live in person, as well as, you know, access the gallery, which will be open 24-7. That's one of the main differences between going into the traditional gallery and, you know, this gallery that I'm developing. It's one of those things where you can access 24-7. And you can do it from the comfort of your own home, from via your smart device or your desktop, you know, whatever. Whatever access to electronics you have, you have access to seeing some pretty amazing art. And that was made possible by the city of Seattle. They are funding 11 pop-ups in 2018. So it's going to be awesome sauce. And then from that, that is... um, yeah, it's it's amazing. Um, and, again, this is all stuff that I've just been thinking of in my head and, and bam, just manifested. For mm-hmm. updates on all of that, it can, they'll be able to find, because you you're not able to release the URL for that yet, right? You can go to my website, JolynGC, that's J-O-L-Y-N-G-C uh, dot com, and you can um, sign up to be notified of when all this stuff is happening. So I'm located everywhere on the Internet at JolynGC. That makes it easy to find me and keep up with all of the art shenanigans <laughs> that we're doing in 2018, and it's a lot. So a couple questions. These are the big questions about life and you. To me, it sounds like what gets you out of bed in the morning is art and justice. Is there anything else you want to add to this inquiry? Like, what's the thing that your life is for? What gets you out of bed? Well, I think um, beyond just art and justice, I think those are like the fruit. The main thing, I'm an extrovert, so I get a lot of energy from being around other people. And granted, I do it is, I do require alone time as well, but what really gets me out of the bed, because I could easily just stay home and work on all kinds of stuff, but what gets me out of bed and into the office around people really is the opportunity to brainstorm new ideas, whether that's for my own projects or other people's projects. I love brainstorming. Put me in front of a whiteboard with some markers and eraser, and it is on. That's like one of my favorite things to do. That ties into your mantra, the whole unlimited permission slips to create as you see fit. I'm going to borrow that. I hope many other people borrow that too. (laughs) 
Yeah. But you in front of a whiteboard just creating as you see fit is just that's what gets you out of bed in the morning. That's brilliant. Yeah. Every morning. I mean, you know, if I have a stop whenever I have the opportunity to be in front of a whiteboard with some friends, some colleagues, whatever, and we're just brainstorming and mapping stuff out, oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. That is one of my favorite things to do. So I try to do that as much as possible. And that is really being around other creative, energetic people that are out there doing and creating how they see fit is another thing that really just, it works for me. And art and justice, that, those are like the fruits of being able to create as you see fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing, I know you have a gratitude practice. And I see the fruit of your gratitude practice because you are so creative and energetic and connected. Is there anything you'd like to share that, or declare, I guess, that you're exceptionally grateful for? I have a lot of incredible people in my life who support me, and I am grateful for people that, one, just see me, see me beyond, like, accomplishments and degrees and that sort of thing, but just see me and want nothing but to see me soar. I'm so thankful for people that like that in my life that have just taken a chance. I've just listened to all my crazy ideas and have just nodded in, in encouragement and haven't said, oh, that's impossible. But, you know, people that really got, got it and got me and were like, yeah, okay, I can see that. So I'm incredibly thankful for people like that in my life, and I'm just blessed to have so many. Like I can't even count it on one hand. I have so many people in my life that support me, and that is just amazing. It it makes a difference, you know, because it's one of those things where, one, you're held accountable. Like, you know, it's one thing to have unlimited um, permission slips to create as you see fit, but being accountable to a group of people who care about you in that quest to create all willy-nilly makes a difference as well. So that's definitely one of them. And I try to practice, like, intentional gratitude where even if I'm not in constant contact with that person, I do make a note of, okay, who am I focusing on this week in my gratitude meditation? Like, who who is the focus? Who has been exceptional in my life this week, who stands out, I, you know, make sure I acknowledge it as working on whatever it is I'm working on and take that time to just send some good, you know, meta or some love and good vibes to those particular people. So those people, if you're out there and you have experienced like some type of miracle, not that I'm trying to take credit for it, but I did, I did pray for you. So maybe that's why <laughs> you're experiencing that. All right. I know you have so many accomplishments, but in terms of who you are today, what are you most proud of? Man, I'm honestly, I'm most proud of my um, fearlessness when it comes to making requests. That is probably like one of the things that I'm most thankful for and most proud of is this kind of like, uh, I was just telling someone, one of my friends the other day, I was just telling them that like, you know, even with the 
occasional no's. And honestly, I've been blessed because the no's in my life have been occasional. And when it happens, I'm totally shocked. Like, wait, what do you mean you're not on board with my vision? Okay, well, you know, I'm just like (laughs) waiting. Like right now, I'm like waiting in expectation of the next yes. Like I'm in position to hear the next yes. And I think staying constantly in that frequency vibration has really helped with the amount that I'm able to manifest and the speed at which I'm able to manifest. I mean, the list is long. There are so many things I can share. I know. But we don't have that kind of time. <laughs> we don't have that kind of, kind of time. But I just in don't. terms of, like, how you evolved is is extraordinary. And and I was just curious from your perspective what that is. And so I, and I love that about you, too. You're fierce. You are fierce and you are courageous. And I love that. This is a really big question, and you may or may not have an answer, but I think it's worth inquiring into, is do you have a wish for our country, especially because everything is, is kind of coming, is coming undone? Do you have a, a wish or an intention or a prayer for our country or the world or the planet? You know, I think the first thing is, like, if we eradicate it, I wouldn't even say if, when, we eradicate white supremacy. I think that's the first step. I legitimately think that all things will just fall into place. The earth will be happier. You know, Mother Nature will stop with all these hurricanes and being pissed off at us. Bees <laughs> um, will return. And people will just be in, in harmony and see each other, like really see each other. And I think it starts with eliminating, like, institutional racism and all these things. I don't I don't want to say that, you know, oh, it's it's all capitalism. It's not that there's so many different things, but I think the root of it is white supremacy. So if we could just get that together, I feel like the world would be a much more better place. Yeah. I'm right there with you. That's my prayer too. All right, darling, anything else you want to add? I would just say go out there and create some good. Speak up for someone. Use your voice. Yeah. Even if it's the smallest little step, just use your voice. Even if it's just greeting a total stranger on the block, just, you know, make that eye contact and say good morning. People don't do that anymore. I try to, I try to do that. Sometimes I'm just listening to like some really good music, and it's on my part. And when it's on my part, like I cannot be disturbed. I gotta feel that music. <laughs> yeah, it's just like wake up, engage, notice what's around you, say hello. Yeah, and check in on people if something doesn't feel right. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for this conversation for your commitment and dedication to creating as you see fit and trusting that there are unlimited permission slips out there for you. And thank you for sharing that mantra. And wish you continued success and abundance on your journey of creating. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, boo. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was JoLynn Gardner-Campbell. You can find her at JoLynnGC.com. 
If you have a story to share or an experience that helped you find your voice, I'd love to hear from you. Please go to she'sher.com and click on the button that says share my story. Also, feel free to sign up for the newsletter for updates on the latest releases and opportunities to connect. And tune in for the next episode. I've got some exceptional people for us to learn from and be inspired by. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, go and be well.